coming to you from the Early Childhood Peace Consortium at ecdpeace.org. This is Pathways to Peace. Listen in as we talk with experts about the experiences and the challenges they face in implementing early childhood development programs to build a more peaceful world. Support comes from the Mother Child Education Foundation, the John E. Fetzer Institute, UNICEF, and Yale University. So hello everybody. It's a real honor and pleasure to be here speaking with uh, Joanna Rubenstein and uh, bringing everyone up to date about the sad realities that are out there with regard to abuse against children. And we'll be talking at great length about the report that The Economist has prepared uh, with regard to the uh, occurrence of sexual abuse against uh, children, particularly girls in childhood, uh, but also abuse in general. And of course, another important topic is uh, abuse against boys, which is often something that isn't well recognized. So it's uh, on behalf of the Early Childhood Peace Consortium that I have the honor and pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Rubenstein. And I'll say a few words about her, but let me just uh, mention as well that uh, I'm Jim Lechman. I'm a professor here at the uh, Yale University, and uh, it's uh, it's a great honor and pleasure, as I mentioned, to be able to speak directly with Joanna about this very, very important topic. So uh, Joanna is the president and chief executive officer of the World Childhood Foundation, And it's only been a few years, I think it was 2015, that Dr. Rubenstein was appointed as president and chief executive officer. And the appointment was made by Her Majesty Queen Sylvia of Sweden. And interestingly, here in 2019, it's actually the 20th anniversary of the World Childhood Foundation. And Her Majesty actually began the foundation to invest in innovative programs to end violence and sexual abuse and exploitation that uh, occurs with regard to the children of our world. Dr. Rubenstein is an expert in global health and sustainable development. Uh, She brings the World Childhood Foundation, uh, her decade of experience in leadership roles at both Columbia University as well as at the United Nations. As the chief of staff for Professor Jeffrey Sachs, uh, Dr. Rubenstein helped develop and lead several global initiatives in health, education, and sustainable development. Notably, she also supported the artist Shakira and her organization to develop programs in Latin America and the Caribbean, also to support early child development. And as an assistant director of the Earth Institute of Columbia University, Dr. Rubenstein was instrumental in the development of Sustainable Development Solutions Network. And currently, Dr. Rubenstein supports the Sustainable Development Goals Advocacy Group of the United Nations Secretary General. I should also mention that Dr. Rubenstein serves on numerous boards and committees including the Board of the Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children, the United Nations World Tourism Organization's Network on Child Protection, and the Steering Committee of the Early Childhood Peace Consortium. And what I would also say is that uh, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, uh, there will be an opportunity if you want to click on um, one of the buttons there at the website to actually have a more complete and full biography of Dr. Rubenstein. 
um, available to look at, perhaps, as you're listening to our conversation. So I think with that, if it's all right with you, uh, Joanna, we can go ahead and uh, begin to talk directly about the about the intelligence unit's uh, um, index report out of the shadows. Uh, and I think it's such an important document. Um, is there anything you'd like to say before you introduce the new index and teach us about uh, the realities that have been found as a result of the efforts uh, on the part of the economist and the world experts that you had consulted in preparing this report? Well, firstly, thank you so much, Jim, for this opportunity and uh, very generous introduction. What I would like to mention is that it was very unusual for a queen of a country, Sweden, who actually grew up partly in Germany and in Brazil, to use her voice to address the issue of child sexual abuse and exploitation. And as you mentioned, it was 20 years ago. And what happened as a result of Her Majesty's decision is that there were actually four boards created, one in Brazil, one in Germany, one in the United States, and one in Sweden. And the foundation has been over now almost 20 years mostly supporting different innovative solutions, how to address child sexual abuse, how to prevent it, and how to serve better survivors of child sexual abuse. But we were not very much engaged in advocacy efforts, and it is really with Her Majesty's daughter, uh, Her Royal Highness Princess Madeleine of Sweden, who nowadays is living in Miami with her three little children, that we moved 2014-15 into also using our voice to help uh, with the advocacy and how to raise awareness about child sexual abuse uh, in the U.S. My mandate is primarily in the U.S., uh, but as Jim mentioned, I also represent the foundation on a number of international boards and see myself very often as a placeholder for child sexual abuse and exploitation. And this is one of the reasons why I think it was so important for us to really work together with the Economist Intelligence Unit uh, research team and with the support of our foundation, but also Oak Foundation and Carlson Family Foundation, support this research that took place in 40 countries uh, over almost one year. And those 40 countries represent 70% of all the children in the world. And the index was really a way of getting everybody's attention to the fact that we still today have so many children in the world being sexually abused and exploited, and somehow we don't talk about it, and it's not really on the global agenda. So in order to get more attention, we decided that perhaps looking at the response of the countries and different stakeholders would be a way of bringing people's attention to the fact that so many children are being sexually abused, but also to help shine light on various solutions. What are the countries doing to prevent it or address child sexual abuse and exploitation? So this is a little bit of the reason why the index was formed, and it was also developed with the thinking of that we now have a new set of global goals, 
and there are 17 sustainable development goals that all the nations agreed they will try to reach by 2030. And one of them, the goal 16, uh, and especially the target 16.2, it's very specific. It says that our goal is to end abuse, exploitation, trafficking, and all forms of violence, which includes sexual violence, against children and torture of children by 2030. So we needed a tool to measure how we are doing. Well, thank you very much, um, and uh, certainly the need is great. So perhaps you could fill us in a little bit in terms of the work that the intelligence unit did with regard to what exactly does it measure. I guess when I was looking through the report again earlier today, I, I didn't see you know precise estimates with regard to prevalence, although that exists within some countries. So just teach us a little bit about uh, how they approach this question and what does it actually measure? So you are so right, Jim. Uh, it is a challenge uh, to have the data on how many children are being sexually abused and exploited in the world. And this is was one of the problems that it's very hard even to talk about this global public health epidemic when we don't have concrete numbers. And we don't have concrete numbers partly because many countries have not been measuring and they have not been following uh, what is happening. Uh, So this is one of the reasons why there is no good prevalence data or data that shows how frequent child sexual abuse is. But we do know that in the U.S., for example, it is often estimated that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before the age of 18. Uh, One of the official numbers in India is that more than 50% of all the children are sexually abused before the age of 18. Uh, But still, we don't know very well the validity of those numbers. So this was one of the reasons why we instead looked at what is the response of the government, what are the legal frameworks and tools in place in those 40 countries, what is the private sector doing to prevent it. And we know, for example, that Internet and information and communications technology like mobile phones and uh, social networks, they are sometimes enablers for child sexual abuse or trafficking. So we looked at what is the response of that particular industry. What are they doing to prevent it from happening? We also know that uh, travel and tourism industry can enable trafficking. So we looked at what are those companies, what are different hotel chains or airlines or travel agencies doing to prevent it from happening? And then also, what is the media coverage? And um, I have to say that we probably all have noticed more and more scandals being in the media, but very often, or most often, we actually lack information what can be done to prevent it. So we have the horrific numbers of how many girls have been abused by Dr. Nasser, but we rarely have any information about where one can report child sexual abuse or how one as a parent or a child can report it and prevent it from happening in the first place. 
And I think this is also where media can play an important role. And then, of course, we know that there is a number of national plans. So certain countries have a strategy how they want to address child sexual abuse, but there are others that don't include that. Mm-hmm. So this is what we were looking at. Mm-hmm. What we found, among other things, is what you already mentioned, Jim, is that very often people think that it's mostly girls that are being sexually abused and haven't even looked at the number of boys. And it turns out that uh, in some countries it is equally frequent that boys are being sexually abused, but even in the U.S. um, we have ignored the boys, but many, many of them, sometimes one-third of the children, are boys who are being sexually abused. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I was just in Japan, and uh, we're in the process of preparing an article for one of the Japanese journals but there actually had been a systematic review of abuse in Japan, and I guess I was really horrified to see that the estimate was between 10 and 60% of the girls, and of course uh, a somewhat lower estimate with regard to the boys. But uh, they're actually in the third quartile of all of the countries that were monitored and that the index uh, indicates uh, what their relative position is. So I guess um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you uh, was what the response has been so far. And I know that you just got back from Davos and you had an opportunity to interact with world leaders across a number of different uh, professions and disciplines as well as government and policymakers. And I guess I'm really curious about now that the report is out there and uh, publicly available on the Internet, um, what sort of responses are you encountering? And, and I guess a related question, although um, it's an interesting question that probably precedes this one that I just asked, is what, was the, what were the responses from the various uh, governments, the 40 governments that actually were contacted and who provided information with regard to, at least some information with regard to the index? So perhaps it's, uh, let me start with the second question. What were the responses of the governments? Um, the Economist Intelligence Unit really made sure that all the data that related to the government data was also reviewed and validated by those governments. So the governments received all the data and had a chance uh, several weeks to review it and get back to the economists and confirm or say if they had any concerns that the data was not, you know, accurate. So it was an iterative process. Um, We also made sure that during the development of the index framework, there was really a global expert group or, or global expertise deployed to inform the process and to inform the development of which questions should be asked, how you know, one should weigh the importance of different questions. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I can say is the governments, of course, are always nervous when they are being ranked. So the governments always, no, no government wants to be last. Or, and uh, what we could see that some of the governments were, were concerned where they would turn out to be uh, in the ranking System. But I think this is actually good because what it did is that it really generated attention of those governments 
to look at what is it we are doing as a government, what is it we can do better. Mm -hmm. And this is probably really the biggest strength of this index. It is not about shaming and naming. It's about identifying where are the gaps, what can we do better, Mm -hmm. but also learn from each other. Mm -hmm. You know, one government can look at the response of another government. So this is the government response. And of course, uh, for example, United Kingdom is the number one among the 40 countries. and um, In terms of having the lowest uh, uh, risk. It's not the lowest, the best response, yes. both of the government, the best legal framework, uh-huh. the engagement of the industry, how the media is covering. Um, and they were very happy to see that they rank so high. <laughs> but this is also one of the governments that a few years ago had a lot of scandals in mm. child abuse in sports mm. and actually took a very proactive um, measures to invest in, for example, how to end online child sexual abuse and exploitation, mm-hmm. uh, created new legislations, anti-slavery laws, and, and really um, has put the topic on the national agenda. And this is why uh, today they rank number one. Good for them. So, so tell us just a word or two about your experience at Davos and what kind of response you had from the various uh, world leaders that were there. Uh, I think, you know, just the fact that uh, I was invited and I'm now a commissioner of the ITU, which is International Telecommunications Union, um, and UNESCO, Broadband Commission for Sustainable Development, is uh, probably partly um, because we have this index now and the industry and the government regulators and operators uh, recognize that, oh, God, someone is looking at what we are doing. We better think about how to protect all the children that are online. And we know that already today in the developed world at least one-third of all the Internet users are children. So we want them to be safe online, and they established a new working group that I have the privilege to co-chair, and that was the, the group that was also meeting in Davos. So it included, the Broadband Commission includes the head of the World Bank. Um, I had the opportunity to meet with the head of the African Development Bank. The index includes several African countries. And... Um, I had the opportunity to meet representatives of Facebook, certain CEOs of major companies, and also representatives of the United Nations system and governments. I think the index is something concrete that helps us to start the Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, um, you know, I already had several emails. The meeting was last week. People are following up Mm -hmm. to engage, and this is exactly what it's intended to do, really to, you know, get, get out of the shadows the uh, horrific crime against children uh, that child sexual abuse and ex- exploitation is. So I guess my last question, and I think we're not uh, keeping to our time schedule as well as we might, but uh, certainly government leaders, uh, what's happening with regard to the companies and individuals that are involved in the Internet, et cetera, et cetera, are critically, critically important for our ability to actually address and make a change with regard to what's happening in this world of ours. 
But what about the other listeners that are just listening in today and being thoughtful about this reality? What can we encourage them to do that will make a difference with regard to this horrific reality that we're facing? I think that recognizing how common it is, um, we all have a role to play. It affects both poor and rich countries. It is a universal problem, but it is preventable. So for parents, we should really think about how to ensure that the school, the sports clubs or the institutions uh, that our children attend different programs at, that they have protocols in place to prevent child sexual abuse from happening. And um, that we all know that we can report that the public schools are mandatory reporters. We also need to ensure that our pediatricians also look uh, if there are any signs or indications that the child may have been sexually abused or groomed by an adult. We also need to keep in mind that it happens most often in families behind closed doors. This is the majority. In more than 90% of cases, the child knows the perpetrator. So we have to be more vigilant. Another thing that I would like to mention, and this is because I am a member of your great consortium, is that the best prevention is investment in good early childhood development, where the child is not exposed to any form of violence or neglect but especially child sexual abuse. Because we do know, and there is enough scientific evidence, that child sexual abuse leads to learning disability later in life, mental health problems, other health problems, and very often substance abuse, and then also perpetuation of violence. I think you can learn from, for example, our website, childhood-usa.org. We have a mobile app that we developed together with Darkness to Light, which you can download for free, Stewards of Children Prevention Toolkit. And uh, you can simply learn how you as a parent or an adult can contribute to keeping our children safe and what to do if the problem is there. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today about this really... uh important uh, initiative that you have undertaken with your colleagues at the World Childhood Foundation. And I'd like to express our gratitude to you, but also to the Queen of Sweden and her daughter and uh, everyone else that has been involved in this important effort. And we need to make a difference in this world and uh, one step at a time. But thank you so much. We really appreciate the time and effort that you've put into this initiative. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share the news about the index (laughs) with your audience. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pathways to Peace. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help other people find the show by giving it a rating on iTunes and sharing it with friends. Theme song is To the Sun by Lost Harmonies. Pathways to Peace is a production of the Early Childhood Peace Consortium. Visit us at ecdpeace.org to learn more about our work and how you can join this global movement.